0: Well once again welcome, my name is Pastor Bill, I serve as the Global Outreach Pastor here at Wheaton Bible, and I want to welcome those joining us online as well as we continue in our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Along with no and mine, it's an utterance no parent ever had to teach their kid. It's not fair. We're born with the ability to survey our surroundings and our peers and cry foul whenever we see someone else has what we also want, but for some reason didn't get. This morning we'll reflect on Jesus' short story entitled in our Bibles as the parable of the workers in the vineyard, although we could refer to it as well as the parable of the disgruntled servants, or the parable of the lucky workers, or the parable of the eccentric employer, or the curiously generous boss. Let's delve in, Matthew 20 verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, at daybreak, 6 a.m., to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, when Jesus begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, a phrase we hear often in the Gospels, it indicates he's giving us insight into the nature of God's rule, God's economy, God's working in ways, how his power and judgment operate so that we can take heed and act in accordance with them. Verse 2 The landowner agreed to pay the workers a denarius for the day and sent them into the village, into the vineyard. Now, uh, denarius was a small silver Roman coin about the size of a dime. It portrayed a portrait of Tiberius along with the inscription Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus, emperor. The reverse shows a high priest of the Roman state religion. A denarius was a typical or good going rate for a day laborer in a culture where 50% of a worker's income might be needed to purchase the household's daily food. We read on, verse 3. At nine in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace. He told them, you go also and work in my vineyard, entreating them to rely upon his fairness, saying simply, I'll pay you whatever's right. They went. The landowner went out again at noon and again at three in the afternoon, did the same thing. At five o'clock, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one picked us, they answered. Apparently, they desired work and income, needing to buy daily bread and essentials. They'd shown up at the place where workers made themselves available for hire, but they'd found no takers. No one had hired them. No one had chosen them. Perhaps some of them faced the prospect of returning home to hungry children with nothing at hand. At this late hour, there wasn't going to be any haggling over the wages. They were simply hoping for something, anything, before the sun went down. Have you ever been there? Waiting? Worrying? Maybe you're there right now, saying, Please, Lord, anything. I'm out of options. The landowner said to the Passover workers, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, soon after, as the sun was setting, The owner of the vineyard called his foreman and said, gather the workers, pay them their wages, but I want you to do it in this way. Begin with the last ones hired and then go to the first. The workers who were hired last came and each received a denarius. Then those who came who were hired first and they expected to receive more. After all, aren't we entitled to a bonus?" But each of them also received a denarius. When they took it in hand, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they protested, and you've made them equal to us who bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. How is that fair? Well, the next segment in my message is entitled Life's Not Fair, Get Over It. <laughs> my friend Les worked for many years as a business and economics professor at a Chicago university. He told me about a conversation with one of his students who told Dr. Dalabi, I can't believe in God because life is not fair. Les invited the student to tell him more. In their exchange, Les asked the young man, well, if we were all in abject poverty, blinded in wheelchairs, would you believe in God then? Because that would be utterly fair. We'd all have an equal lot in life. The student conceded, I don't think that would help. Les suggested, Well, do you know a fellow student way less fortunate than you? Maybe there's a way you could give him or her some money secretly or offer your time to help that student to make things more equal. Is that something you want to do? The student stared at his professor. Less questioned, So then, is your real beef with God that life isn't fair? It seems to me it's something else. What's your beef with God? What's your beef with God? Do you and I often survey our surroundings and convince ourselves I'm getting short changed and launch into grumbling against the master? I want to point out this morning that comparison is a thief. Comparison is a thief. The workers in the parable began the day satisfied. They'd gotten up early, offered themselves for hire, were offered work and agreed to decent wages. They had the security of knowing we're set today. We can feed our families today. It was only later when they saw others who'd put in less hours also getting a full day's pay that their perspective changed and their mood soured. Now, seeing what others got, they expected more when they'd received what they'd agreed to. They began to grumble, objecting, whoa buddy, you've made them equal to us. We contributed all of this and they only did that. When we do the comparing, our disposition often deteriorates from comparison to criticism. To complaint yeah comparison criticism complaint comparison often ends up with our dissatisfaction I was happy until comparison so often steals our joy comparison is a thief well you might object well hold on a minute So, fairness doesn't matter. Bill, are you saying just swallow it and don't worry about injustice? No, that's not my point. To the contrary, Scripture elevates the value of justice. For instance, in Proverbs 31, we read, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up. Judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Scripture repeatedly calls God's people to speak up for the mistreated, to take the side of those oppressed, to provide for the poor. For those of us who think true religion is a pair of designer jeans, the Apostle James corrects us. James one twenty seven says religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this to involve yourself in looking after widows and orphans in their distress to look after those most disadvantaged and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world but if you're like me My indignation is quickly ruffled by assumed personal slights, but often slow and dull to recognize injustice suffered by others. We conduct our comparison looking through distorted and smudged lenses. We make our analysis with inaccurate facts and incorrectly guessed motives. Our fairness sensors are drastically skewed, by self-interest we're clever in manufacturing excuses why others suffering is not a problem with which I need to get entangled our faculties lead us to faulty conclusions of right and wrong worse and better what they contributed and what we contributed and who's right like me and who's not erosion uh, excuse me comparison erodes our satisfaction and ramps up our discontent well now's the time in the sermon when we say turn to the person next to you so if you're a regular here you're used to that and today you can turn to the person you came with and say can you name the ten commandments you know The original top 10 list. So with the person sitting next to you, or if you're alone, in your mind, or on a piece of paper, list the 10 commandments. What are they? Okay, class, you've got 45 seconds. Go. All right, class, time's up, I'm afraid. And the person you came with thought they were such a spiritual dynamo. Okay, help me out. What are the Ten Commandments? What, what are they? Love, uh, love the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Uh, don't steal. Don't steal. Remember the Sabbath? Don't use the name of the Lord carelessly. Honor your father and mother. No coveting, no coveting. As as we go through the list, it seems often that the bookend to the Ten Commandments is actually the forgotten commandment. The commandment that says, you shall not covet. Now, I recall a story of a young mom who was preparing a meal in the kitchen after coming home from church, and she overheard a conversation between her second grade son and his dad in the living room as her uh, second grade son said, dad, um, what does it mean? Don't commit agriculture. (laughs) The dad thought for a while. He said, "Uh, I I think that means don't plow in somebody else's field. (laughs) So they both seemed happy with that answer and went on their way. (laughs) But we're talking this morning about don't covet Meaning, don't yearn for what doesn't belong to you. Don't envy others' possessions or begrudge others' good fortune. Stated positively, be content. The second point I want to suggest this morning, that comparison inclines us to covet. Comparison just inclines us to covet to expect more for ourselves, to grumble, even though none of the workers in Jesus' parable were being shortchanged. Verse 13, the landowner said to the grumbling worker, I'm not being unfair with you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? On the contrary, all of the workers received either justice, meaning the wage they had agreed to, or more. It was justice for those who worked from the beginning of the day to receive the wage. It was mercy in the midst of their poverty for the workers who waited unhired to also receive a denarius. They all received at least justice, fair pay for working a day. They all received at least justice or just plain grace. Unmerited kindness in the case of the latecomers. We read in verse 14 the heart of the parable, the master says, I want to give to the one who was hired last the same thing I gave to you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm being generous? Have you ever caught yourself mid-sentence lamenting, Lord, she already has too much. Lord, he didn't deserve that promotion or windfall. And the Holy Spirit catches you asking, Are you jealous because I'm being kind? You mutter, Lord, you're not going to forgive that, are you? And the Lord probes, Are you angry? because I'm being merciful? Remember, the story of the prodigal son doesn't end with a warm group hug. It ends with a brother fuming that his undeserving sibling is being welcomed with a party and his father pleading with that son to see you are both loved. When we advise, Lord, if I were you, I'd let them have it. He might just say, Are you frustrated because I'm patient? Don't I have the right to pour out my goodness on others without asking you for permission? Jesus teaches us that our Maker is joyfully generous. We read in the Gospels, Your Father in heaven causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends down refreshing rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Little flock, it gives your Father great happiness to gift you his kingdom. A good friend of mine who has lived there in Haiti said... You know, there's a dark side to the culture that has trouble rejoicing in another's good fortune. If your neighbor gets a possession you don't have or moves forward in some way, there's almost a compulsion to steal, ruin, or burn down whatever elevates the other person. Romans 12 urges us instead, rejoice with those rejoicing. Join in their happiness. Stop begrudging. And also be sure that you weep with those who are weeping. In many nations around the globe, Christ followers live under threat by their own governments, are opposed or oppressed within their home culture, are persecuted by by hardliners of other faiths or no faith and experience rejection from family members for their loyalty to Christ. But even when this is so, our identity as sons and and daughters of God is not as victims. If you are a son or daughter of God, ultimately you are not a victim. You are a victor. Romans 8 proclaims, in all these hardships and injustices, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. These past two weeks, many of you have become aware of the escalating crisis in Sudan where we have connection with pastors. Would you come alongside them in their current hardship Joining in prayer for the people and church in Sudan as civil war looms. I want to invite you to watch this prayer cast video.
1: Lord, we thank you for loving us. And you die for people of Sudan. You tell us in your word that a time will come when the people of Kush will raise their hands and worship you. Lord, we pray for that time. We want to see it in our generation. We want to see multitude of Sudan coming to face. We pray, Lord, for Darfur region, the western Sudan, all the tribes that are living there. Lord, we pray for visitation. We pray that you send your people who will proclaim your name. We pray for the people of Nyala and we thank you for the house church that are there. We pray for Nuba Mountain. We pray for the church that is there. We pray for the house church that are moving toward the tribe that are not rigid. We pray, Lord, uh, of people of uh, Bulloon Isle. Lord, uh, reveal yourself to them through internet, TV, social media, in dreams. Lord, we pray for the churches that are there in houses, in hiding. Give them wilderness so that they come and proclaim your gospel to their people and their neighborhood. We pray for the people of uh, Eastern Sudan. We pray for all the obstacles that hold them behind, whether it is Islam or uh, African religion, any witchcraft. Move them away so that your people will come to your light and get the salvation that you provide for them. We pray for the Northern Sudan tribe, you know, Lord, that these people, they were believers before, but we want you, Lord, to come again with your salvation. We pray for the people who are in the middle of Sudan. We pray, Lord, uh, for salvation. We pray for evangelize them. Also, we pray for the persecuted church, that uh, you give them boldness, faithfulness, to endure the fame that they are going through. We pray for the government. Lord, uh, soften their hearts so that, Lord, they allow your people to serve. We pray, Lord, for all the challenges that people are facing, famine, economic challenges, and political challenges, security challenges. We pray for your grace. We pray, Lord, uh, Use us, use all your servants, use your children that are there, Lord, with boldness. Give them, Lord, courage. Give them grace in the eyes of the people. We want to see the salvation. We want to see the revival in your church. We bless you. We praise you. Lord, give us courage to walk according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Lord, amen, may you advance the work in your vineyard in Sudan. Does listening to our Sudanese brother in Christ pray diminish your sense of entitlement? It does me and reminds me that gratitude infuses us with contentment. Gratitude infuses us with contentment. Well, there's a new movie out with Viola Davis, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck called Air. It's the story of how a mediocre shoe company, Nike, went to extraordinary lengths to tie their brand and risk their future on a single rising basketball star. Michael Jordan. And if you own an original pair of 1985 Air Jordan 1s, they could be worth up to $25,000 if the size, color, and condition are right. Well, guess what? Yes, sir! Yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, own a pair of uh, collectible uh, Air Jordans. Sorry. Uh, You should have known that from the Walmart bag. (laughs) I don't have any collector Air Jordans, but can I be grateful for some new ASICs? And if I don't have new ASICs, can I be grateful that I have shoes. And if I don't own a pair of shoes, can I be grateful that I can walk? And if I can't walk, can I be grateful that I have life and breath today? Maybe it's not what I have or how it measures up against someone else's stack. Maybe it's more about recognizing that I've been given I've been given so much by a generous God. Coveting whines, I deserve better. Better house, better spouse, better career, better car. Contentment concedes, what I have is good. Could always be worse. Coveting is always craving more. Contentment says, I can't believe how much I have. The evil one prods and tempts us to covet. Our heavenly Father calms us, saying, I am with you. I've got you. Breathe out thanks. Be content. Timothy 6 tells us godliness with contentment is great gain we brought nothing into the world we can take nothing out of it if we have essentials we'll be content with that those who want to get rich fall into traps and many foolish and harmful desires i want to tell you this morning about the uh greece swindle This past Thursday evening, 18 of us gathered here at WBC for a Greece Go Team meeting as we prepare to join in the July distribution of New Testaments in homes north of Athens. Steve Dutton, who's been part of these distributions in the past, told us the story of a woman he met who received the New Testament at her door in Greece. When the woman opened it at the marker... And began to read her eyes fell upon the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus in Jesus parable a wealthy man who had enjoyed great luxury found himself in agony in eternity on the wrong side of the divide the man looked and saw humble Lazarus whom he had ignored and Lazarus is suffering now in paradise. For years, the woman Steve met had been distraught, simmering in anger against an already wealthy brother who swindled all of her inheritance from her parents' estate when they died. Over time, the anger had cooled into depression and bitterness at the injustice she suffered. But as she read and reread this parable, she suddenly dropped the Bible and ran to her neighbors asking, Did you receive a New Testament? Did you receive a New Testament? Yes. Where was the marker? Where was the marker in your Bible? And she then realized that the markers were put in randomly but she was convinced God was speaking directly to her. She devoured the words of the Gospels and soon became a Christ follower. Steve said, when I met that woman years later, she showed me the bag that she had received and the Bible that she treasured. Steve said she was one of the most loving, joyful, effervescent personalities I've ever met, overwhelmed by a generous God. I have a question for you. Would you rather be the neighbor of that woman or her brother? Are you more like her brother? The woman in her bitterness, or the woman in her contentment who knows a good, good God. Gratitude infuses us with contentment, and gratitude and strength have their source in Christ. And so Jesus ends this parable reminding us that the last will be first. And many who now have banquets and bank accounts that are overflowing will one day discover they were grasping at short straws. I want to cheat a little bit. That's the end of today's reading. But I want to sneak a peek at next week's reading. In Matthew 20, verse 17, we read, Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death They'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, but on the third day he will be raised to life. These words should right our perspective when we recognize that Jesus accepted the most unfair assignment ever. No one ever humbled himself so greatly. No one ever gave of himself so completely or bowed as low as your Savior. And that is why Jesus alone deserves to be first, to be exalted to the highest place to be supreme in your life and mine. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we confess that we are quick to notice and become agitated when we feel slighted but are often slow to see and indifferent to respond when others are shorted. Lord, forgive us for the times we have begrudged your mercy or generosity to others. Lord, forgive us for regarding today as a given and not what it is, a gift. Lord, forgive us for often suspecting and sometimes accusing you of shortchanging us. We realize we're not home yet. But when we are, we can trust you will not only make things right, but that we will joyfully bask in your majesty and affection. Lord, we humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus thank you for reaching to us with wounded hands that heal thank you for holding us tight with hands that will not let us go amen